Hey, this is Brian and Becky Drake. Hey. We're here on this podcast. We're going to read How the Holy Spirit Works by Jimmy Swaggart. And we're going to pray first, and then we're going to start reading the book. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. And God, I thank you for the blessing of a husband who ministers with me and who doesn't try to hold me back or hinder me in what you've called me to do. Lord, we ask that whatever we say, whatever we do on this podcast and on any others, Lord, that it would go out and it would bless people and it would turn their eyes and their hearts to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to start reading the book. The Word of the Lord, chapter 1, the Word of the Lord. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Galatians 3, 2 through 3. If I remember correctly, it was a beautiful spring day sometime in March 1988. It was a Monday. In those days, Francis and I generally stayed home on Mondays, meaning that we did not go into the office at all. I would spend the day in prayer and study of the word, which I was to do this particular day. Something was to happen that would make this one of the greatest days of my life, but not without the efforts of Satan to hinder and to hinder greatly. The powers of darkness. As I began to seek the Lord that day, I had gone to the backside of our our property. Our house and Donnie's house sit on 20 acres of land that is outside the city limits of Baton Rouge. Oftentimes, I would walk around the perimeters praying, which I did that day. I happened to be at the very backside of the property at a certain point in time. The powers of darkness began to come against me with a powerful force. In fact, it was about as strong as I had ever experienced such. It was so bad that I remonstrated to the Lord. You said that you would not put anything on us any harder than we could bear. But with every temptation, you would make a way of escape. I then said, Lord, I think you are allowing Satan too much latitude. No human being can stand this. I won't go into any detail as to what this was all about, but most spirit-filled believers know exactly what I'm talking about. It was like there was a hundred-pound weight on my back and everything dark. Satan's taunts were constant and carried with them a feeling of total helplessness. I think that Satan, most of the time, has some idea as to what the Lord is going to do with us or for us. Consequently, he tries to hinder and does so with great power. 
I want to say something um, about what we just read. Um, talking about the attacks of Satan. You know, like he said in his book, Pastor Swaggart said that we all go through that. And I myself have experienced that many times in my life. You know, when I was younger, and many of you have heard my testimony, I went through a period of about six or seven years of depression. And it would be like this black cloud would come and sit down on me and my mom and it would stay. And it was hard to get out of the bed in the morning. It was, there were days I didn't brush my teeth. There were days I didn't take a bath. There were days I didn't wash my hair. I didn't brush my hair. You know, am I proud of that? No, but that's what the powers of darkness do. They make you do everything completely contrary to anything you normally would do. And uh, I want to say something else too before she finishes reading that part. We've been working on a book here lately, and it's been it's called A Good Soldier. And we've been doing pretty good with that, but it seems like he has tried to hinder and stop. Delay, delay, delay. Us finishing the book because he just, I think he's mad that we're, we're doing that. And he's tried to stop. Like, we're pretty much almost finished with the book, and we're still waiting on a few things, but... That's just what he does. So we're doing what we're supposed to do. And that's about it. Now, for the child of God, it shouldn't be a surprise when Satan attacks you. Because if you are living for God, you are causing him trouble, as Pastor Swaggart says. And when you cause Satan trouble, you also get his attention, which means you therefore are a target. But now, if you're not living right, even though you're saved, if you're not living right, if you have no heart to live right, you know, um, if you're in a backsliding condition, then you're really not causing Satan any trouble. So that's why sometimes it seems like people who aren't living for the Lord, even though they may be saved, you know, people who aren't living for the Lord and even those out in the world who don't know the Lord at all, it seems like sometimes they don't have any trouble. But yet it seems like the Christian gets gets it compounded on them. And that's because we are a target because we cause Satan trouble and we upset his kingdom by living for God and doing what God has called us to do. We get persecuted. Definitely. All right. The power of God. My complaint to the Lord had not left my mouth when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit in a powerful way, much more powerful than that of the evil one, moved upon my heart. One moment it was as if a hundred pound weight were on my back, and the next moment it seemed I seemed to be floating without a particular problem in the world. Then the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm going to show you some things about the Holy Spirit that you do not now know. That was it, short, sweet, and to the point. What did he mean? The first thought that came to my mind was this the Holy Spirit is God. Consequently, there are all kinds of things about him that I do not know, but somehow I knew that what the Lord was talking about was related to the reason for the powerful opposition by Satan. There is absolutely nothing like the power of God. One moment the believer staggers under a weight of problems, and the next moment, as the presence of God fills the heart, there is not a problem in the world. There is a peace that accompanies such that words cannot describe. I've never taken a drink of any kind of alcohol in my life. I've never taken any drugs, so I don't know what those things do to you, but I do know this. Even though I have only experienced one side of this equation, and I speak of the side of the Lord, I personally believe there is absolutely nothing that can compare with the presence of God. What did the Lord mean? I had seen the Holy Spirit move 
upon my heart and life to help me see literally hundreds of thousands of souls brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I am not exaggerating as well. I had seen tens, tens of thousands over a period of time baptized with the mighty Holy Spirit. I knew some things about the Holy Spirit. So what was the Lord talking about? About that time, Francis called to me at the back door stating that there was a phone call. So I hurriedly went to the house to take it. The brother on the phone was the pastor of one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the nation. I had met him a few times, but did not really know him that well. However, I so much appreciated him taking the time to call. At any rate, when I picked up the phone with him on the line, I shouted loudly, Hallelujah. I've often wondered what this dear brother thought about me after our call ended. How are you? He asked. How are things going? There was no way that I could tell him what had just transpired in my life. But at any rate, I was so grateful for his call. The Lord did not say to me as to when he would give me this great truth concerning the Holy Spirit. Little did I realize that I would be some nine years before he revealed to me that which he promised that day in 1988. Time. At a point in time when I really saw nothing take place that I felt was the answer as to what the Lord had promised. I asked him, why is it taking so long? Several weeks later, at one of the nightly prayer meetings, the Lord answered my prayer. At least why it was taking so long, he said, precept must be uh, upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Isaiah 28.10 I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord was giving me an answer to my question as to why it was taking so long, but I did not understand at all that which he gave me. What did he mean by this particular scripture actually i did not learn what he meant until the holy spirit gave me the meaning of the cross of christ as it regards the new covenant in other words everything had to be in place regarding the word of god nothing could be out of kilter it had to be straight when that had taken place mostly information imparted to me by the holy spirit then the lord opened the door thereby keeping his promise that he had made to me showing me in a word how the holy spirit works that which i did not know oh wait 
that which I did not know. Yeah, that's right. Precept upon precept. That which he gave me, which I hope to relate to you, was most definitely known and understood by the Apostle Paul, and no doubt many others at that period of the church as well. But from the time of the early church until this present time, I'm not so sure this great truth had been revealed to anyone. Of course, I'm not surmising since I cannot know all the things that the Lord has done. But what experience I do have tells me that this which he gave me was not something known among many among believers. To be frank, I think that which I will relate to you, which will be the epitome of simplicity, will round out the gospel if you'll think about it a moment. I think that there are many Christians, and I mean good Christians who love the Lord, who know in their heart of hearts that something is missing. I believe that the message of the cross and the way the Holy Spirit works will fill in those blank spots. I know it has for me, and from the testimonies we are receiving, I know it is taken that tact with others as well. The message of the cross. That which the Lord gave me in 1997 came in three stages. One, an understanding of the sin nature. Two, the solution to the sin nature, which is the cross of Christ. And three, how the Holy Spirit works. That particular day in 1997 started out like any other day. I went to the office, as was my custom, quite a time before daylight. I was studying the great sixth chapter of Romans. I picked up a book by a noted Greek scholar who is now with the Lord to see if he had some insight regarding this great chapter. He did. Strangely enough, if I remember correctly, I had read his account of the meaning of the sixth chapter of Romans which actually is the meaning of the sin nature. But what he said had not stricken accord with me. This particular morning, everything was different. It was like the Holy Spirit placed the meaning of the sin nature on a television screen, making it so simple and easy to understand. That morning, I learned the reason for so much failure in the hearts and lives of believers and that is a tremendous truth. When a person has done everything that he knows to do not to fail and fails anyway, and he doesn't know why he failed or how he failed, such presents itself as most debilitating experience. A most debilitating experience. As I saw the truth of the sin nature, even as the Holy Spirit opened it up to me, I saw the reasons why I remember walking back and forth across the floor in my office, weeping as the Spirit of God touched my heart that particular morning. The Apostle Paul. I later learned that the meaning of the sin nature was also the first thing given to the Apostle Paul as it regards this great redemptive work. Romans chapter 5 gives us the great justification process. Then, after one is saved, the sixth chapter of Romans gives us the working of the sin nature. Sadly enough, very few Christians, even very few preachers, understand the sin nature, actually most of the time, not at all. 
And that particular morning hour, the Lord opened it up to me and I helped and helped me to see some things that I had not previously known. A few days later in our morning prayer meeting, the Lord was to give me a truth that once again was known by the Apostle Paul and, of course, others in the early church, but not so very much since then. The Lord showed me in that morning prayer meeting that the cross and the cross alone was the answer to the sin nature and all other problems as well. In fact, he showed me, which I hope to give you in this volume, that very single, that every single thing we receive from the Lord comes by the means of the cross. It's the cross which makes everything possible. His word to me was simple, straight and to the point. The answer for which you seek is found in the cross. The solution for which you seek is found in the cross. The answer for which you seek is found only in the cross. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt it was the Lord. And I knew that he had given me a great truth. Yet my first thought was, how does the Holy Spirit play into all of this? I knew he did and in a great way. But at that stage, I did not know how. I had seen the world touched by the greatest harvest of souls ever and all by the power of the Holy Spirit. I had seen tens of thousands baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. But yet when the Lord gave me the answer respecting the cross, the Holy Spirit wasn't mentioned. In my spirit, I knew that he played a tremendous part in all of this, but all I could do was to lay it before the Lord and ask him to complete the word. Incidentally, as the Lord took me to that great sixth chapter of Romans to explain the sin nature, he took me once again to the sixth chapter of Romans to explain the cross. Unfortunately, this great chapter, which I believe is the pivotal point of the entirety of the word of God, is ignored by most Christians because they think that Paul is speaking of water baptism. Inasmuch they have already been baptized in water, they sort of skip over this chapter as being inconsequential. The truth is, Paul was not speaking of water baptism at all. He is speaking of us being baptized into Christ, which takes place at conversion. In other words, when we are born again. We must understand that the word baptize can be used figuratively or literally. Let me explain and further it further. John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Here the word baptize is used literally. But he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now he uses the word figuratively. Matthew 3.11 Most Christians don't know this, so they brush through this chapter. If they read it all at all, and never realize the phenomenal truth that's given to us as it regards us, being baptized into Christ. Keeping the promise, inasmuch as this great word of the cross had just been given to me, we were attempting to teach it over our two radio stations. We had a station in Baton Rouge and a station in Bowling Green, Ohio. Lauren Larson was on the program with me that particular morning, as stated. We were teaching what little we then knew on the cross of Christ. It was only about three or four minutes before the program ended for the day, when all of a sudden something happened that was so outstanding 
that it defies description. I uttered a statement which came out of my mouth, a statement that I had never read in my life, never heard preached in my life, and did not know anything about. Yet I knew it was from the Lord. Through me, he said, The Holy Spirit works entirely within the perimeters of the finished work of Christ, meaning the cross. And he will not work outside of those perimeters. That was it. To the point. So very simple, but at the same time, so very complex. What did that, did the statement mean? What was the Lord telling me? I did not really know that of which I had just stated. In fact, I did not understand what I had just stated. What did it mean? I sat there saying nothing for a moment or two. When Lawrence spoke up and said, Can you give me scripture for that? How could I give him scripture when I had never heard the statement in my life? Then I looked down at my Bible and it was open to Romans 8. The second verse seemed to be capitalized and seemed to come up off the page in front of my face. It stated, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. That was the word of God for what I had just stated. The law which the Holy Spirit through Paul was talking about was a law devised by the Godhead sometime in eternity past. To be sure, it is a law that will function exactly as it was designed to function. The short phrase of the Spirit of Life, of course, concerns the Holy Spirit. Sin brings death. The Holy Spirit brings life. As someone has well said, the moving of the Holy Spirit is the beginning of life. Oh yes, it is. Then comes the great praise in Christ Jesus, which refers to what he did for us at the cross. I haven't taken the time to count them, but I read the other day that Paul used this phrase, or one of its deriv deriv derivatives, derivatives? should as in him, in Christ, etc. Some 170 times in his 14 epistles, as stated, it refers to what Jesus did for us at the cross. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. He works through the cross, by the cross, and of the cross. He will not work outside of the perimeters of the cross. And we, of course, are speaking of what Jesus there did. What Jesus did at the cross gives the Holy Spirit the legal means to do all that he does. Actually, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the only law in the universe that is stronger than the law of sin and death. 
All right, guys, we got to stop for tonight. Um, we're going to stop here and we will pick back up next time um, on chapter one uh, of How the Holy Spirit Works by Jimmy Swagger. Thank you for listening.